Hi, everyone. I'm Tweed Vu. And I'm Dr. Diane Hamilton. Welcome to Leaders Playbook, a show about how to drive transformational impact in your organization. We talk with innovative thinkers across various sectors to hear about the best tools, resources, practices, and strategies to help you and your team reach the top of your game. So sit back and relax. We can't wait to share our leaders' insights with you. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Diane Hamilton, and I'm the CEO of Tenera. I also serve on the Board of Advisors for the Global Mentor Network, and thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is Zaina Orbai of The Real Real. It's an online brick-and-mortar marketplace for authenticated luxury consignment of clothing, fine jewelry, and home decor. And Zaina is their chief people officer. And when choosing today's topic, what kept coming to the forefront of options, at least for me, was how to discuss what leaders can do to effectively manage uh, employee and employer relationships. Because we know the workplace looks a lot different today than it did just a few years ago. And we're going to hear from Zaina regarding tearing down workplace norms and what they're doing at The Real Real to help understand the impact of this paradigm shift between employees and employers and what we need to do to create that glue between these two groups. So uh, I'm very excited to have Zaina here. Welcome, Zaina. Hi, Diane. Great to be here. Well, I was really looking forward to this. We've had a chance to chat in the past, and I know I have a little bit of knowledge about your background, but I always like to hear how C-level executives make it to such a prestigious position. So can you share your journey of how you reached this level? Yeah, you know, it's um, taken its interesting twists and turns. I actually started uh, my career in nonprofits and in nonprofits, it's so much about the mission, the purpose, galvanizing people, you know, around the vision. And I found that they were short of resources or maybe, you know, the motivation was for different reasons. Uh, and so then I started looking at for-profit organizations. And one of my first early jobs was in retail management. And that is all about people and leadership, right? You have people working hourly wages who can go get a job down the street for 25 cents more, 50 cents more, but how do you motivate them and feel connected, you know, in that environment? And so, you know, I sort of was thrown into a leadership and management at a very young age. And then that translated into moving into HR, where I can then influence systems and organizations through building effective leaders and uh, therefore driving results for the company. So it's fun because, you know, my journey sort of went through twists and turns. And in some ways, I ended up in HR, but I couldn't think of a, you know, a better when I think about, you know, what I'm passionate about. HR is such a fun topic to teach. You know, I, I actually, my degrees are in HR and I love teaching those courses because it's, it's all about people and connections and relationships. And that makes it so much fun. I think it's much, it's one of the most fun things you can teach in the business setting. So I imagine your job is a, a lot of interesting days. I, and I, I realize it's not all fun. And I know there's been a lot that we've had go not exactly as planned with COVID. You know, we've changed the traditional workplace norms, the relationships, as I mentioned in the introduction, that the employee-employer situations kind of changed a little bit. And I want to know, what were they and what are they now as you see them? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say the pandemic, I believe the pandemic has fundamentally changed people's 
motivation and relationship work work. Like there's been a huge recalibration and I think people are still discovering what that means for themselves. And there's, you know, after what we've been through the last few years, there's this yearning and longing to for a better quality of life, right? And better quality of life depends on each person's situation, their context, right? And I think about I guess three things, you know, I've been talking to a lot of incoming employees. I've been talking to a lot of outgoing employees to, of course, you know, friends in the network. And sort of when I think about quality of life at sort of at the basic level, there's, you know, money, time and energy and energy being, you know, your health, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual. And so I think these three things have shifted for people. And I think they're now in this sort of discovery mode of how do I, what do I have and what else can I sort of recalibrate among the the balance of these three things to then improve the quality of my life. So I think it's fascinating because we've seen people make moves because people have a lot of choice right now because of the labor market and then turn around and say, you know what? I actually liked what I had and turn around and boomerang back into the company. We've had people leave and then move to the next job because it didn't sort of add up. So I think it's an interesting time of people really, they're a bit of a self-discovery mode of how these three elements have shifted in terms of what they value in their own life. You know, this is so fascinating because you bring to mind, I attended a Forbes summit for CMOs years ago. And what stood out to me was how much they talked about how if people want to leave and then come back, we welcome them back. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, my Mad Men days, you weren't welcome. <laughs> that was it. You were gone, right? And so I love that if you can't get the experience here, you might be able to go somewhere else, get it, come back. If the door's kind of more open, that's kind of something new. And I, I thought that was really interesting. You talked about, you know, you have choice and you have these conversations, in-going, outgoing conversations. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit. So how do we welcome a conversation, you know, about meeting these personal needs that might have shifted and just, but we have to also make sure, you know, you can get your dog walked or your kid to school and all these things, but we still have tasks and we have to have work done. So how do we make sure that we're meeting those needs and getting the work done? Yeah. And I think it's starting to think about what are the conversations that managers and employees are having and how do we help managers have the right conversations that are relevant for today. So, you know, at the end of 2021, and we had gone through a lot, you know, at the real, real, the business had um, gone through a big swing. We were back on growth trajectory and we introduced a concept called real conversations, uh, you know, a play on words, but an authentic conversation. And it was tied to goals, results, but also the human being. So three questions. One is, what were your goals um, for last quarter? How did you do? What are your top three priorities for next quarter? And then the last question is, what has personally and professionally changed and how can your manager help you? I will tell you that last question, it is so simple and so basic, but we had the whole organization, you know, have these conversations. Managers learn things about employees that they had been managing for years that they didn't know. Right. And it could be, you know, you know, something related to their kids or their parents or their hobbies. And that opened up a whole new conversation of how, you know, managers could lead their people uh, and motivate them beyond just the tasks of the job. And so, you know, I'm hoping that this becomes a 
sort of ongoing relationship and getting our organization to have these authentic conversations when we're so focused on the task, but really understanding the human being behind that task. You know, what I love about that, of course, is the curiosity <laughs> involved in asking the questions. And that, that I love the third question because you talk about professionally and personally, some, sometimes we, leaders have no idea of some of these personal situations that have changed. They might know professionally what has changed. And I think finding out how to balance these things can be challenging. I mean, we might find out you, you've had a child or, you, you know, you, you've moved to a new home or some of these things. And sometimes it's hard for organizations to meet those needs because there's these shifts. How do we ensure that we, you know, there's some people who might take advantage and want you to just constantly say, hey, you know, I've moved, I've done this. And, and they may think that they can just take a lot more time than other people who might just say, hey, I, I, nothing's different. I'm going to give it all 100% no matter what. How do you keep that where everybody's getting a fair shake of getting time off that they really need without abusing it or without killing themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think when you say, what do you need from your manager? A lot of times it's not time. And so we have actually built it into our performance reviews. The very last question, you know, after you go through what were all your accomplishments and, you know, what did you achieve and rate yourself and so forth? What do you need from your manager to be successful in the upcoming year? It's not always time off or, you know, go easy on me. I think it could be about growth. I want to, you know, build this skill and build this relationship with this company can you make that introduction? I need, you know, support because there is misalignment, whatever that is. I think you'd be surprised. It's not necessarily time or don't hold me accountable. It's, I want to do a great job. I have these blockers as a manager. Can you help me remove these blockers? And, you know, of course, you know, for some people, you know, personal things might've changed, but it's, it's really kind of getting underlying a little bit deeper in terms of, and that could be personal, it could be public speaking, it could be personalities, whatever that is, right? But I think it's just going one layer deeper on what does this individual need to be successful? And, you know, as a manager, you know, how do you help them? Yeah, that reminds me of someone who reported to me who really had a challenge speaking and she she would get up on stage and sing beautifully in front of a million people but you put her on zoom <laughs> or in front of a five people it freaked her out and so we have to be flexible with all of these people understanding their preferences and and where they're comfortable do you push someone a little bit past their comfort zone sometimes to get them out there or do you kind of say well that's not their best thing let's work on their best things i'm curious what your theory is on that? You know, I, I have sort of like a three-prong theory on this and I do it in interviews and I do it, you know, whenever I need to get a little bit deeper to understand, you know, the person I'm talking to is what are their motivations, right? So what kind of really gets like fuel and energy in their system and why they show up to work? So what, what motivates them? What are their interests? So that could be passions, where they want to grow, what they want to you know, where they want, where do they want to move to, right? And then their strengths, what are they just good at, right? This is like their sort of superpower and skill. And if I can understand those three, then it allows me to guide them in, in the right direction, right? Because a lot of times interests could be things people want to do, but they're scared to do, they don't know how to do it. 
you know, this is sort of like where they want to move to. But if we can sort of lean on their strengths, then we can sort of play off of all three. So I actually, you know, sort of fundamentally believe that people want to keep growing, right? Whether they say it or not, they want to grow in some way. And that doesn't mean titles and money's all, money always. It could be whatever that is. And so I think helping people, you know, believe in themselves bigger than maybe what they even see is a gift you can give people. And I mean, I think what you get in return is loyalty, right? Because guess what? You saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself in that moment in time. Yeah, I think people should do more of that because that's been pretty amazing when you can turn on a light bulb for someone and get them to believe in their capacity more than they, you know, believed about themselves. So you know, I, I think that ties in so well to, you know, psychological safety and trust and all the things that are such hot topics right now, you know, and I, I think a lot of leaders think that they encourage some of these things and they want to. I, I know at least with curiosity, we found that leaders think they encourage it. But if you look at the data, the employees, uh, maybe not so much as the leaders think it's being encouraged. And I think this is kind of probably, I would imagine, is similar to a lot of the things that leaders maybe think that they're doing. But maybe in reality, it's a different perception from employees. How do you have those conversations with leaders to let them know that maybe what they think that they're encouraging, maybe this trust level is not really there or this encouragement level is really not as high as it could be? How can, how can they judge themselves to determine the reality of how good they are at these things? I mean, we certainly do engagement surveys and there's a whole manager section, you know, questions like, is there trust on your team? Or do you feel like your relationship with your manager is helpful and effective? And so there, there's a whole set of trust and belonging questions, which is one way. I will tell you what we did do in 2020. We took a little bit of a risk. So we had built this crypt. We were going to launch management training series and 2020 hit and we said, oh my God, let's pause the things we sort of had in the hopper maybe are not so relevant, but we should do something, right? And now people are leading virtually. They've never done that. Everyone's personal situation is different. Some people live alone. Some people have five kids, right? And so everyone's going through this experience differently. So we, I uh, partnered up with our L&D consultant and said, let's figure out like, what do people really need right now? And we had heard connection, trust, as you mentioned, psychological safety, wanting to feel heard, and that can tie to belonging, right? So all these pieces of like, I am going through this out of sort of this, this crazy experience. And how can I have that conversation with my manager and create that space, right? So we introduced six modules and they were sort of, they built on one another, but you know, they can stand alone. It was listening to connect, asking to understand, navigating change, giving feedback and receiving feedback. And each of those modules are about 90 minutes. And you think, oh gosh, that's, wow, that, that seems long, but in it are the skills that you need to really build um, empathy and trust with your employees. And so anyway, we end up saying, okay, we're, this is what we think people need. We're not going to be mandatory. We're not going to be the heavy handed HR, like go set this to training. We're going to put it out there. If people show up, they show up. Okay. So then a few people started showing up and guess what? Classes were going full. We started introducing more offerings more frequently. And what we found is people want to 
they, even managers, they want to do a great job, right? And I think they're looking for ways of how do I build these soft skills that aren't my technical skills or driving results, but the human side. And I think it's been amazing based on just people having some, I think, awareness around maybe they thought they were listening, but no, actually they were multitasking and looking at their G-chat and doing this. And, you know, and one of the things we talk about in that course is just by being present and turning off your email and G-chat in your one-on-ones, the other person sends that and they will share more information with managers who are present rather than managers who are not just by the way you are showing up and whether you're present or not, and you will get more information, you know, just by the, you know, the way you're behaving. So they're like little things like that, that I think people started to realize going through these sessions, there's role playing and so forth. But anyway, I'll tell you, I think if you pause and give space both to sort of managers and employees, I think there's a a lot more rich, richer experience that can happen. You know, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about soft skills. And sometimes people get almost tired of hearing about the importance of it. But we know that people leave leaders or their managers and not the companies because of all these issues. And I think empathy is such a huge part of people being successful because it ties into perception so well. I, it's very hard for us to realize that we only see things from our unique perspective, right? And if we could put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, it opens up a world of communication. We don't have to agree with them, right? We just have to be able to see what they're seeing. And I think that what you were saying about asking and listening, you know, we can't just ask, we have to listen, can really do a lot to build that empathy. And I think, though, you know, it's hard right now because you used to pass people in the hallways and you could say, hey, how's it going? You could have these conversations that maybe took five minutes, but now you're having to do a half hour, 30 or 60 minute Zoom or whatever it is they're using. And we used to have this real close proximity, but we don't. We've got a lot of people working remotely and hybrid. So how do we make that connection when you know, maybe you're with more people in a Zoom session or a different session than you would be if you're just at the water cooler. How do you get that sense of connectivity? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you, Diane, is that's sort of the biggest thing of that sort of serendipity and the levity, you know, a office brings of running people, running into a person on Monday morning, how was your weekend, so forth. So we had a all day, two full days, a director summit. You know, we have a hundred plus directors in the company. They sit all across the U.S. Before the pandemic, we would fly them all in to San Francisco, and it would be in person. Well, we couldn't do that, you know, for the last couple of years. And when we started getting feedback from 2020, saying, "Gosh, I miss you know the happy hour, and I miss seeing people in um, person. How do we get to know some of our peers?" So the second sort of two day summit that we did virtually, we added a session in there that was really purely about just getting to know people and connecting. And it was only 30 minutes. And we randomized everybody, right? So we put people um, in groups and, you know, broke, broke them out into rooms. And there were really three questions, you know, as you're looking back on, on the year prior. And so this was early this year. What has been your proudest moment? What has been your biggest learning? And what are you looking forward to? 
in the new year, right? So really simple. And there were five people in each group and people just got to know each other. You know, some people talked about how hard it's been with their kids. Some people talked about, gosh, they're so proud of their teens, whatever it is, but there was camaraderie, there was laughter, there was connection. And so we brought people back and we did a debrief, right? And people, I mean, you just saw these big smiles on people's face. And so really, it it was also a way to say, you could do this with your teams, right? This is not something you need a facilitator or an expert to come in. Like, take the time when you're doing your team meetings. Maybe there's once a month that you stop and talk about what's going on in people's personal life and, you know, throw a question out there and sort of has more sort of uh, flavor and richness. So, and so I really left the sort of, there was a slide at the very end of our bit that I said, how will you lead differently in 2022? And I left it to people to think about with the hopes that they thought about, it's really about how to build human connection with people again. So anyway, I think people think that it's sort of, this is, we're making it harder than maybe it really is. I think when you use the word vulnerability, I feel like that's such a big word. Like if someone told me, go be vulnerable, I'm like, what? Like, what does that mean? You know? And, you know, so, but I think if you tell people, ask questions where people can open up and that's connection and share something about yourself that maybe they wouldn't hear about. That's, that's what it's all about. Right. So um, I think it's breaking down barriers and, you know, simplifying it in a way that people can act on it. I think people are looking for a way to feel more bonded, you know, in this market. I think it's just people we knew maybe have quit. We have less interactive sessions, like you're saying, that we're doing everything virtually sometimes. And I think we're looking for that thing to hold on to. And I, I think it's hard because I can remember writing about this years ago about how when people leave, the people who are left are to take on all this burden of all the stuff that everybody else used to do. And now we have fewer people doing all this stuff. And I know a lot of companies are struggling right now to get people. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, you, you see help wanted signs everywhere, right? And how are you managing that at the real real? I mean, it's a tight labor market. Are you getting enough people on board? And what are the challenges with that? Yeah, no, it's a tight labor market. I don't think there's any company out there that staff small, big, you know, and in every direction. I think there are certainly openings because not everyone has returned or they're making different lifestyle choices. I think, a, you know, there's an opportunity for all organizations and certainly you know, we have been thinking about it differently at the real, real too, is thinking about your current workforce and when a job comes open, instead of going and saying, okay, let's, you know, take that job description, put it out there and, you know, go find someone looking internally and saying, okay, well, who in the organization can I pull up, reskill, upskill, and think about differently with the new lens, right? And I think that has been really such a sort of fun process. And so now, you know, I think whenever someone leaves on my, on the HR team, we're about a 60% team, instead of saying, let's go, you know, go fill that job, you know, I'll think, oh God, there's got to be someone who has this skill set and that competency and what's teachable, what's, what's not. And I'll, you know, call up my team and just say, I've got a crazy idea. What about you know, so-and-so for this job. And they're like, tell me more, right? And I said, well, you know, this person doesn't have 
you know, this technical skill, but they have the relationship with the business. And I think we can partner up, partner them up with this mentor to get that technical skill. And those two combine, I think they'll be successful in the job because of the business relationship. And we've started taking risks on putting people in positions that maybe they didn't even thought, think about themselves, or maybe we would have said, okay, no, this person needs three to five years of experience. And guess what? We're finding people are doing great. Whether they're excited, they're sort of seeing their career in a different light. They are in some ways bringing more energy and effort to the job than maybe someone that has been doing it for five years. And so I think there's a huge opportunity for people to think about their workforce. And and I'm using the word reskill and upskill because I think in some ways we've put people into sort of narrow boxes. And I think we have to sort of remove those blinders and think about people's capacity rather than their experience. You know, that's such an interesting uh, thing because I've had a lot of women experts on my show who have talked about how women will wait until they have 100% of all their qualifications that they think they need to apply for things more than men will go, yeah, I can do it. They're maybe not qualified, but they have more of that knee jerk, yeah, I'll just do it kind of thing where women don't want to disappoint maybe and they, they will wait. Is that something you've seen and what kind of problems does that create? And how do you get over that? Gosh, I wish I could say I haven't seen it, but I see it all the time. So I feel like when I have an opportunity, my sort of, you know, best thing I can do is uh, relay that confidence to that person. So again, that, you know, they are not being their hardest critic. So we are a women-led organization and 60% of our workforce is female. And that goes sort of almost all the way to the top, but even our executive team and our VP layer is fairly diverse. But I will say it's not just at the junior ranks. I see it at all levels. You know, I, you know, just a month ago, someone really smart, been with the organization a long time, you know, we were looking to expand scope and all of a sudden said, no, 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 you know, I, I don't think I'm ready and so forth. And I think what you do is sort of pull those people in and say, why not? What do you have to lose? You have the support of the CEO, you have the support of the president, you know this organization. You are there are things that make you more qualified than us going in outside and filling that job. And I think people underestimate the historical knowledge and relationships they have in the company and how much that is integral to being successful in the next job, right? Of having the allyship and support. And so I remind people that in the end, that's what it's about. It's not so much the technical and the years of experiences. Do people believe you can be successful? Are they going to help you? And if you've got flat spots, blind spots, you know, gaps, as long as you feel like you can get that from others that you, you know, go for it, right? And yeah, and I think there's just, I think we need more people doing that work because I certainly have had my own sense of sort of imposter syndrome and realize that there are these people that come into your life and they say, wait a second, you know, I think you're being silly, not believing in yourself. So yeah, I feel like a lot of those conversations come up all the time and I go all in and, you know, make sure that people don't uh, step back when, uh, when they should lean forward. You know, it's very common to see people 
uh, have that voice in their head, talk them out of things. I mean, it builds up the fear and then they, they, they worry about this. And I, I think it's really interesting to see what other companies have done. I had a guy on my show who would hire somebody just because he saw a lot of potential in them. He didn't know exactly what job he was even going to put them into. And he would have them work around different departments and then create a job description just for that person based on what he saw in them. Now, most companies can't afford you know, to just do that all the time, but it's, it's something that I thought found really fascinating. And I think there's a lot of companies that really focus on looking at the individual and what they can do. I, I remember interviewing Doug Conant because he's famous for turning Campbell's soup around by writing these handwritten notes. He wrote over 30,000 of them. And in all the courses I teach, I mean, they always talk about this Campbell's soup study because what a huge difference it made. What are the kinds of things like that where we can build this sense of trust, where we can build this sense of, I'm not going to fail at this because I've got this voice in my head telling me, you know, is there mentorship that we can teach leaders to do is should, should they be writing hand notes, handwritten notes, I should say, should they be doing something specifically to give people more confidence? Or, or is it just an individual thing that we got to work on people based on their personalities? And we're back to empathy again. I mean, I think it's all those things. I don't think it's one thing. I mean, I will tell you because um, the real world, we're a high growth business. So everyone is so focused on, you know, driving results and there's never enough hours of the day because there's so much ahead of us rather than behind us. So I said, okay. And, and then 2020 hit. So, you know, everybody was taxed. I thought, okay, I don't want people to lose confidence when we need them the most, right? The, there is a lot on people's plate right now. We had just gone through an IPO in June of 2019 and February 2020 COVID hit. So that is hard, hard, right? You've just started being a public company and all of a sudden here's a huge twist. And so I partnered up with, you know, a dear friend of mine who does exec coaching. So she coaches, you know, C-levels and, you know, large organizations like Gap and so forth. And I said, gosh, is there something we can do for our directors and VPs. They're sort of the crux of the company that can give them just the space of whatever they need, right? This is not about coming out with the development roadmap. This is not about, you know, building ROI. This is just like, what is it that they need to get through this time? And so we designed this sort of it's almost like the speed exec coaching. It's a group of eight, a cohort that comes together. There's a kickoff. And then they have three one-on-one sessions with Amy. It's 90 minutes. And then there's a closing circle. We found that it renewed people in such a big way because they got a an outlet, right? And if they don't have the manager who's going to write them a lot of little notes or so forth, right? Because I think every layer was taxed in the organization. It was a sort of, I would say in some ways, a little bit of just like a quick shot in the arm that sort of rejuvenated them and got them re-inspired on what they're capable of. And everybody worked on different things. Some people it was, oh my gosh, how do I prioritize personal and professional for other people. It was, how do I become, how do I manage others? And, you know, when I'm sort of taxed so heavily, some of it was confidence, right? And so I would say either introducing it through your managers and leaders, and if they're taxed because the organization's going through a lot, then maybe there is someone from the outside that can be an outlet for these people if they are second guessing themselves to then 
you know, invest in them a little bit. These were three 90 minute sessions that in many ways, you know, increase the longevity of people, you know, at the real, real. So I think there's, you know, people can get creative and I, you know, in some ways got outside help because I knew that there was no way anybody in the organization had the capacity at the time to, you know, start writing notes and doing all those little things. And of course, now we're in, in a different cadence now. Well, that's so interesting because you bring up opportunity cost of missing out doing something. And that comes up a lot in courses with my students, because I think a lot of people go, oh, 90 minutes. I can't do that because you know I have Zoom after Zoom after Zoom. But sometimes there's a lot of Zoom meetings we don't really need to have. And I think that that's a whole discussion in itself. But I think that we have to look at the opportunity costs of what we're missing by not doing certain things. And I think sometimes leaders go, oh, this is another initiative. I don't have time for this. And I, I'm curious in that, you know, as being one example, what are some of the other mistakes you think that maybe we're seeing out there being made that we're losing that glue connecting an employee to their employer because we're just so focused on our calendars or something else right now? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ahas for me personally, so is... Oh, you have to, what is it, break bread to build connection, which means you have to be physically in a place, probably food involved, right? You know, sort of the the the, the old ways of building connection when there wasn't much technology. And I will tell you, I have been so surprised on this concept of like proximity and connection are independent, meaning you could be next to someone in an office and, you know, worked with them for months or years and not really know them and have, you know, an acquaintance, a surface connection versus maybe you've had a Zoom call a couple times with someone and feel a really deep connection. And I think that has been the biggest aha for me is this connection. Yes, of course, it's easier if you're in person, but we're not using our in-person as intentionally, nor are we using our virtual as intentionally. And it's really, if you can change the quality of the conversation you have with someone, be much more intentional, that's how connection is made. And so now I'm much more intentional, whether it's virtual or in-person, of like, what is the conversation I'm going to have with them? Because that's going to build the next you know, part of the relationship. And so I, I would say that's been my biggest aha is proximity doesn't, you know, yield connection. It's really the quality of the conversation virtually or in person doesn't matter. I love that. And I think that you talk about efficiency in there too. You know, I think that there's a lot that happens for maybe no reason sometimes. And I think we need to step back and be more purposeful in what we're doing, you know, and I think we're, we're looking at a time where we has still have horrible engagement numbers and people are not feeling that real sense of commitment in a lot of organizations. So if somebody's listening to this, what can they do today? Like, do you have any like tips to just get things rolling to get them on the path to helping improve engagement and commitment in their workplace? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, start with, and we do this uh, with my team, we actually have the exercise on Tuesday with, you know, all my directors is, you know, the stop, start, continue, right? What are we doing that we need to stop doing? Because it made sense six months ago, it doesn't make sense today. Like, there's no reason we should commit to it just because we said we were going to do it for 18 months. What should we start doing? Because 
there's a new need that's come into the place. And then what do we continue? And I think thinking about your calendar, your day, your week, your commitments, I think there's a sentiment of, you know, more is better. And I think hopefully we've learned a little bit from the pandemic that more isn't better. And sometimes, you know, less is more. And I, so I encourage people if they haven't done that exercise with their own life, you know, maybe with their spouse and their team that they do that. Cause I think they'll realize just by taking a pause going, you know what, these are five things I'm going to stop because these are the two things I really want to start. And I haven't had time for. And when you think about it from a company standpoint, it's also, are you prioritizing your time where it will yield the most results? Or are you just spinning your wheels and kind of sort of can't let go of you know, what you put in place? So I think it's a good exercise. At The Real Real, because we're high growth, we have to sort of always do that, right? Because the organization is changing so much. But I think people should do that on some kind of cadence. So they're in some ways managing their time more wisely. You know, and I think that's so important. And I think a lot of people are looking to get out of that status quo, old way of doing things and pivot now. I love that you said before that just because we said we were going to do this, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to do this. And sometimes people get so married to an idea because they think they're going to look bad if they don't do it now that they said they would. And that's a real problem out there. And I think we can learn a lot from people who did the things and maybe they didn't work out. And I think that's why mentorship is really critical and finding people who have done more things or different things than you have done is, is a super important thing. What kind of mentoring do you do there at the real real? And what would you like to see that they don't offer yet maybe in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think mentorship, there's um, such an opportunity, you know, we are, ours is still very ad hoc, but I think there's so much intentionality that could be brought to mentorship. I've been in mentorship programs, both as a mentee and mentor. I'm also part of Chief where there's, you know, sort of it's built into some of their philosophies. But I think because connection can be built virtually and you don't have to fly across the country to break bread with someone to build a deep connection. The world has really opened up. You know, you could have a connection with someone in London or China or, you know, the East Coast, West Coast. So I think there's a way to build people who are looking to give back and the people that are looking to receive. And so I think mentorship is, you know, it's sort of prime for disruption when we think about not only within teams, within companies, and then sort of cross-pollinate it across organizations as a way to, you know, lift people up as a society and humanity. So I think, yeah, I think there's a lot there, given that, you know, the virtual world has opened up so many opportunities. You know, I love that because I think we get sometimes so stuck in our cubicle or our silo or even our industry. And if we can share ideas across all organizations, as you said, you know, different uh, ideas can spread and everybody can learn so much. And that's what we're trying to do here. And this has been such a wonderful conversation. I love this topic. Thank you so much, Zaina. I learned so much. Great. That was great. Thank you, Diane. It was so much fun. We always love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, head over to gmn.net and say hello. That's where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and our blog on transformational leadership. 
Also, be sure to follow Global Mentor Network on Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe for more tips to elevate your impact. While you're at it, leave a rating and a comment. It helps us to keep improving the podcast for you. See you next time for another episode of Leader's Playbook.